0: Let us pray. O Lord, you have hidden your kingdom from the wisdom of men and revealed it to children. We thank you that you have made your salvation available through humble means and to humble people. We confess our own pride and offense. Let your kingdom be also for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the Holy Gospel appointed for the Feast of St. Michael and all angels from the the Apostle St. Matthew, the 18th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Please rise in Jesus' name. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, sat him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. This is the holy gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are your words, Heavenly Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Human beings are hardwired to care about children. Even before sin entered the world, God gave man and woman the blessing, be fruitful and multiply. And after sin, God declared how salvation would come through the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. Throughout scripture, children are repeatedly called a blessing to parents. And barrenness or lack of children is cause to mourn. The blessing of children, however, is attacked by Satan also throughout Scripture. He knew it would be by a child that his kingdom would be overthrown. And Somehow he has managed to convince swaths of human cultures in history that they would be doing something good, even righteous, through the deaths of children. Whether in the cult of Molech, a false god of the Ammonites, or in the name of a nation's security as in the, in the actions of Pharaoh and Herod, ordering the deaths of certain children. In our current American culture, we might consider the parallel of abortion, which is a popular form of birth control. In the midst of the attacks of the devil and this spiritual warfare against children, we can be comforted by the promise of angels, so often connected to children in our thinking, because Jesus says, "...in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven." There's a very comforting evening hymn. My children know it, for I have sung its prayer many times over their beds. My loved ones, rest securely, for God this night will surely from peril guard your heads. Sweet mercies may he send you, and bid his hosts attend you, and through the night watch o'er your beds. Jesus further teaches, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In this, Jesus teaches us who we must be and what we must value. The need for protection from the angels never goes away. You who are grown, especially men, have been trained to be self-sufficient. You've been taught to earn everything you have to prove your strength and abilities and never to look for a handout. You perhaps have even been taught to defend others to use your strength for the less powerful and this is biblical too for the book of proverbs says open your mouth for the mute for the rights of all who are destitute open your mouth judge righteously defend the rights of the poor and needy but there is a way in which even this attitude causes us to look down on those less fortunate less capable than we are we ascribe greatness to the one who can defend not to the defenseless The disciples, as they went along with Jesus, probably didn't give a second thought to this child who was among them. It was later on that children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. This was a lesson it would take the disciples a while to learn. We can laugh at the disciples for this, of course. But we should also then be ready to laugh at ourselves. How often aren't you slow to learn? How many times do lessons have to be repeated for you before they sink in? And this, you see, is exactly the point. As soon as we think, oh, I've got it, that's when we're furthest from it. That's when we need to get it the most. The disciples, arguing about who was the greatest, hoping Jesus would give them a list of qualifications that each of them could put under his own name, had lost sight of what the kingdom of heaven was at all. This is not a kingdom that advances by force and sword. The weapons of this kingdom are the means of grace ordained by God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This sword is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and to discerning the thought and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In case you haven't seen the old Disney film, The Sword and the Stone, it retells a portion of the legend of King Arthur, specifically how he was exalted to become king. The legend says there was a sword lodged in a stone, and whoever was able to pull it free would be the rightful king of England. Strong men tried and failed. Champions and knights were powerless to make that sword budge even an inch. But this little child, this small, worthless servant boy, pulled it free with ease. The magic in the sword, or the divine blessing connected to it, selected him. The problem is, we still want to put the reason that he was chosen into his own character. Arthur was pure of heart, or just, or kind, or something. We even try to acclaim the virtue of humility as though whoever is really humble is therefore worthy of greatness. But this all misses entirely the point that Jesus makes when he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Salvation, you see, and greatness in the kingdom of God does not depend on any inner characteristic or identity. No part of who you are will save you except insofar as you are a child of God. What makes you who you are? Is it your kindness, your strength, your abilities? I hate to break it to you, but I have seen all sorts of these characteristics fade away rapidly from people. Age, trauma, or even just a change in the occasions of life can make all of these things go away. There's a famous case of a man named Phineas Gage, a railroad worker who before his accident was a kind and well-liked man. But a railroad spike was launched up through his face and the front part of his brain, swiftly lobotomizing him. He survived for several years after, but he was different. Because of the damage to his frontal lobe, he was more irritable, mean-spirited, even cruel. Many people who knew him said that he was not the same Phineas Gage after the accident. But is it the brain that makes you who you are? No, not in your essential part. In fact, nothing in what people see of you is who you essentially are. There are characteristics that people like and probably some that people don't like as much. But what makes you who you are? It is that you are a child. A child is totally dependent upon his parents' For everything. Certainly, he is learning independence and he wants to exert his independence as much as he can as he grows, but he still relies entirely on mom and dad for whatever he has. You therefore must rely entirely on your heavenly father for all that you have and for all that you are. Many people will try to control who they are, to alter who they are in order to feel more worthy. Some of this is not wrong in itself. Hard work, exercise, healthy eating, discipline. These are all morally neutral, even good things. But some of what people try is actually damaging and morally wrong. Abuse of drugs and alcohol, gender reassignment surgeries, behaviors that take a person away from their God-given stations in life. But anything undertaken in order to make a person feel right before God, whatever it is, is ultimately doomed to fail and will actually turn a person's trust away from the rock of salvation. Unless you turn and become like children, Jesus said, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Stop trying to get there by yourself. A child, a little child can't drive a car, and if he tries, it will certainly come to disaster. Disaster. But if he accepts his assignment in the back seat, in the safe and secure car seat, while his father drives, he is more prepared to reach his destination safely. So who you must be is dependent upon your heavenly Father. St. Paul perhaps phrases this the most clearly when he says in his letter to the Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The irony of the disciples question, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The irony is that the true greatest was standing before them. He was the one whom they asked. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, is the King whom God sets on his throne in Zion. The psalmist warns the kings of the earth, kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Even that child that Jesus put before the disciples would be disobedient to his parents. He would grow and commit more and more sins. Only Jesus was perfectly obedient. The only one who earned the great inheritance of heaven. But in so doing, he earned it for that child. And he earned it for you as well. He took the punishment, the wrath for your sins, and he gives you his own perfection and greatness. And this is why it is by faith, faith which is a gift of God that unites you to Jesus' perfect righteousness and gives you greatness in the kingdom of heaven. This is why Jesus answers his disciples with what he has done finally at the end. For the Son of Man came to save the lost. And therefore, you can also learn what we must value. It's not only for your own sake that you ought to learn where greatness comes from, but you should also not offend the little ones who belong to Jesus. He pronounces a harsh curse upon whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Take that seriously. Remember who it is that defends those children. Their angels have an audience before God. If you think of your own greatness, think of the greatness of the angels who, each time they appeared, caused grown men, warriors, to fall and tremble in fear. And even more than this, they will testify before God how you have offended the ones that they guard. How do you cause this offense? Peer pressure or other ways of leading children to sin comes to mind. But there are passive ways you do this, too. Think of your example Do you teach children to value their own abilities more than they value the grace of God as you do? Statistics show, for example, that if parents don't prioritize going to church, the children will fall away. And this is especially so with fathers. If a father is not regularly in attendance at church and speaks about God's word in the home, the children are more likely to leave the church and never come back. It starts and ends with the family. But others have a powerful influence as well. Worshippers who complain about the noise of children will drive them away. Teachers who share false doctrine will incur guilt for themselves. Friends who lead children into sin multiply their own shame. And think beyond even those who are physically children and to anyone who might have less ability and honor than yourself and your duty towards them. St. Paul describes the way the Christian church is the body of Christ If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Suffering will come, Jesus says as much, but react to suffering in the right way. React with pain and anguish which you share with the rest of the body. Don't join in the cause of suffering. In fact, any part of yourself that causes suffering or sin should be removed. Honor the weaker part, not the stronger. The stronger part of yourself will be the part that rebels more strongly against God. The stronger part of yourself will be the part that wants its own honor rather than receiving the honor of Christ. Value less what you do and value more what God has done for you. When you think about the strength of God's glorious angelic hosts, those who sang the Savior's birth, who once led an entire army blind into captivity, who sent Satan and his forces hurtling to the earth. What power do you think you have in comparison? What greatness do you think you can claim? God would have you learn to stop relying on yourself or exalting yourself. Instead, learn to trust entirely in one apart from yourself. And not only because that one is greater than you, but because that one who is greater than you humbled himself. When Peter, who still had not learned this lesson, tried to fight to defend his Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told him, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But he didn't need the angels. He needed to die. This was for you. And so now when you are brought low, when you suffer, when you are helpless, your help comes from the Lord who brings such great exaltation out of such low humility. It was when Jesus was in the depths of hell dying on the cross that he brought you up to the heights of heaven. You are therefore sanctified and united to Jesus by your baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised to life, you also have new life both now and in eternity. This humble life you lead now as a child of God, merely trusting in his guidance and strength and providence, means that God will bring you to eternal glory and greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness, which is a gift from Jesus' own merit for you.